back to the Crossover Cross Time podcast for our Friday edition for week 25, April 7th of 2023. I am your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. First time listeners, um, those who have been listening consistently already, uh, all of you are, are welcome, of course. Um, I do firstly need to apologize if my voice is a bit off. Also, if I require multiple uh, drink breaks as far as, you know, quenching thirst, uh, trying to cool down my throat a little bit. Basically, within the last day or two, my throat out of nowhere has had a bunch of um, issues with soreness drainage, all that kind of stuff, all that lovely stuff that I'm sure you'd love to hear about. And so um, we've been fighting that to, uh, you know, be able to do the show. Um, You may be wondering if that's why I didn't do, uh, we didn't do a Thursday show yesterday. That's part of the equation. Um, But also I did have some family plans on Thursday as well. Um, So I also should apologize for not communicating that with you, uh, the listening audience, but uh, we do appreciate your uh, your patience, your understanding, and we're going to go ahead and do um, a kind of combo Thursday and Friday show. We'll do our franchise focus. We'll do our game previews along with our game summaries from the last couple days, the last couple days of news. Um, it should be a long show. So again, bear with me if I need some time to recuperate as we're going, uh, like now where I need a drink real quick. <clears throat> okay. So that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Firstly, with our game summaries. Again, this is Wednesday and Thursday's games. Um, Wednesday, we're starting off with the Brooklyn Nets winning in Detroit against the Pistons, 123 to 108, um, further solidifying um, favorable playoff positioning. They Their fight is not over yet on that front, but that helps out their cause. Um, after the first quarter, Nets led most of the way throughout, so... Um, good win for them on the whole for the Pistons. They had, uh, they were led actually by RJ Hampton, RJ Hampton, excuse me, RJ Hampton's 27 points off the bench. I also got 23 points, 10 assists from the rookie Jaden Ivey, uh, 18 for Jalen Duran, 16 for James Wiseman. They started both of them in this game and 12 off the bench for Corey Joseph. Meanwhile, for the Nets, six players in double figures. Leading scorer being Mikael Bridges, 26 points, 6 assists. Um, Dinwiddie, Spencer Dinwiddie, had 16 assists. Very high assist total there. Joe Harris and De'Ron Sharp, the double-figure scorers off the bench. And uh, that was a nice win for Detroit, or for Brooklyn, rather, in Detroit. Um, Next, the New York Knicks won in Indiana against the Pacers, a renewal of the old rivalry, Uh, 138-129. to The Knicks won this one. And uh, a couple of Knicks teammates combined for 60-plus. Firstly, for the Pacers, they had eight players in double figures, so they were well-balanced. And TJ McConnell had 10 or 12 assists off the bench. Um, Leading score was Jalen Smith starting at center. He had 19 points. But for the Knicks, they actually had a trio of scorers in uh, 30, 30 plus points. So, um, yeah, misread that at first the leading score for them was Emmanuel quickly, 39 points, nine assists, six rebounds. He's really been stellar for them off the bench. 36 points for Quentin Grimes, 32 points for Obi Toppin. So with a lot, without a lot of their star power, 
they had some guys step up, and that's a, some nice performances from them. 14 points, 16 rebounds for Mitchell Robinson. He also had seven blocks and two steals. Really defensively impressive. And Josh Hart, starting in this game, also picked up 12 rebounds and four steals. So a lot of big contributions from guys that normally don't have big minutes. Um, so a very nice win for New York. Next, the Atlanta Hawks won at home against the Washington Wizards, 134 to 116. Um, that was the Hawks' third straight victory, and that helped secure their playoff positioning a little more. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, in the second half, the Hawks really ran away with it, so kudos to them. For the Wizards, they had a couple of 20-plus point scorers. Daniel Gafford with 25 points, 10 rebounds. Johnny Davis with 20 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. So the rookie having one of his better games all season. Uh, for the Hawks, though, 25 points, 16 assists for Trey Young, 23 points for John Collins, 16 each for A.J. Griffin and Jalen Johnson, both off the bench, and 19 points for DeJounte Murray. Uh, so a little bit better all around for them. <clears throat> Um, next, the Boston Celtics won at home against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, a little bit lower scoring game, close game, 97 to 93. The Celtics win this one. Um, another big game for them in their uh conference standings. They never trailed after the first quarter, so kudos to them. For the Raptors, they were led by Pascal Siakam, 28 points, 11 rebounds, and two steals. Decent all-round game, five total players in double figures. Celtics only had four, but two of those were 25-plus points. Jalen Brown was 25, 11 rebounds, and five assists. Meanwhile, Malcolm Brogdon led the Celtics in scoring off the bench, 29 points, further solidifying his sixth-man-of-the-year case for this season. So nice win for Boston in that one. Um, Next, the Milwaukee Bucks win at home against the Chicago Bulls. 105 to 92, another big game as far as playoff positioning. Uh, fairly close game, but then the Bucks really took control in the fourth quarter. Uh, for the Bulls, Nikola Vucevic led the way, 21 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. Zach Levine and Kobe White also were in double figures. Meanwhile, for the Bucks, three players with 20 or more points. Leading scorer being Bobby Portis, 27 points, 13 rebounds, 26 points, seven rebounds for Brooke Lopez. 20 points, 15 assists, and 8 rebounds for Drew Holiday. So even without Giannis Antetokounmpo, they still have a great all-round game uh, and a big win in that in these final few games. Excuse me. Next, this was an overtime affair. The New Orleans Pelicans winning at home against the Memphis Grizzlies, 138-131. to uh, And a couple of guys really big for New Orleans in this one. We'll talk about them in just a moment. Um Grizzlies led by nearly 20 points going into halftime, and then the Pelicans worked their way back, forced overtime, and then they win in overtime. So credit for the credit to them for battling this one out. For the Grizzlies, uh, a trio of 20 plus point scorers and being led by Jaron Jackson Jr.'s 40. He also had four blocks and a steal, plus nine rebounds and three assists for the Defensive Player of the Year candidate there. 25 points for Dylan Brooks, 24 for Desmond Bain, 13 points, 12 assists for Tyus Jones. Meanwhile, for the Pelicans, they had a trio of 30-plus point scorers, similar to uh, the Knicks that we mentioned before. Herbert Jones with 35 points, uh, 
CJ McCollum, 31 points and 10 rebounds, and Trey Murphy the third with 30 points as well. Uh, McCollum and Murphy combined for 13 total made three-pointers, with Murphy having seven of those 13, so great shooting. He also got 24 points and 13 assists from Brandon Ingram, uh, so the Pelicans still having a very strong close to the season here. Two more games from Wednesday's action. Firstly, the Dallas Mavericks get a crucial win at home against the Sacramento Kings, 123-119, to uh, with a late rally by the Mavericks, uh, particularly third quarter. They were down uh, fairly substantial going into the second half. Mavericks rally back and forth fourth quarter, um, and Kyrie Irving has a big game in this one. Firstly, for the Kings, De'Aaron Fox, 28 points, 8 assists. Uh, 19 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists for Demanda Sabonis, another triple-double. Uh, and then the rest of the starters, as well as Malik Monk off the bench, also had double figures in scoring for the Mavericks. So Luka Doncic, 29 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Kyrie, 31 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds, and 2 steals. Um, 19 of Kyrie's 31 points came in the fourth quarter, so that was huge scoring there. 24 for Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, 14 off the bench for Christian Wood and 10 off the bench for Josh Green. So a big win for Dallas in that one. Finally, the uh, LA Clippers winning at home against the Los Angeles Lakers, 125 to 118. I know it's technically a shared venue, but the Clippers were the designated home team in this one, and they got the home win. That's the Clippers' um, 11th straight victory in their matchup against the Lakers, really dominating that matchup as of late. And that win propelled them to fifth place in the Western Conference standings. Um, <clears throat> for the most part, the Clippers led and really controlled this game. Lakers made multiple valiant efforts to kind of, you know, narrow that gap, try and bring it close. But uh, Clippers were just very potent, especially uh, on the shooting end, uh, really lighting it up. For the Lakers, they were led by LeBron James, 33 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Great shooting percentages. Austin Reeves had 20 points. Anthony Davis had 17 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, with 2 blocks and a steal as well. And D'Angelo Russell added 15 points uh, alongside those guys. Meanwhile, for the Clippers, their leading scorer was Norman Powell, 27 points off the bench, another 6th man of the year candidate. Uh, 25 points for Kawhi Leonard. 17 points, 13 rebounds for Ivica Zubats. 14 each for Russell Westbrook and Bones Highland and 10 points off the bench for Terrence Mann. So a great all-round win for the Clippers. That was Wednesday's action. Let's go ahead and jump to Thursday. Uh, Five games on Thursday's slate. First, let me grab a drink again. Okay. So firstly, the Cleveland Cavaliers win in Orlando against the Magic, 118-94. to Um, So fairly, you know, well-handled game all around for Cleveland, especially in that second half. That's where they really took the lead. As far as the box score goes, um, for the Magic, they were led by Jalen Suggs, 22 points, 18 points for Bull Bull, 11 off the bench for Jay Scrub. <clears throat> Meanwhile, for the Cavs, 21 points for Danny Green off the bench. He was their leading scorer in this game. 19 for Jetty Osman, 18 for Isaiah Mobley off the bench. Uh, the younger brother of Evan Mobley. I believe he's younger. Uh, the one with less NBA experience at this point. We can say that definitively. And then 13 each for Lamar Stevens and uh, Mamadi Diakite. 
hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I do remember he was a, uh, I think he was a Virginia Cavalier. Um, let me double check. Yes, Virginia. So I knew that much, but hopefully I pronounced that name somewhat close to accurate. Uh, so yeah, nice win for Cleveland. Next, this is a big one. The Miami Heat win in Philadelphia against the 76ers, 129 to 101. Big game for their playoff positioning in this one. And Jimmy Butler has a nice game in this as well. And they really controlled this game. They led by as many as 33 points. Um, Their lead was 10 plus uh, from early second quarter onward. Uh, So a big win for them. Tough loss for Philly. Uh, For the Sixers, they were led by Joel Embiid, 21 points, six rebounds, two blocks. Um, They had four other double figure scorers, Harris, James Harden, Jalen McDaniels off the bench and Shake Milton off the bench. Milton also racked up 10 assists. Meanwhile, for the Heat, Jimmy Butler, 24 points, 6 assists. Uh, 24 as well for Tyler Hero. 14 each for Max Struess and Bam Adebayo. 13 off the bench for Caleb Martin and 11 off the bench for Kyle Lowry. So again, a nice win for Miami. Next, the San Antonio Spurs win at home against the Portland Trailblazers, 129 to 127. Um, Ooh, what is this? Oh, I I get you. So, sorry, this sounds vague for the listening audience. Apparently, this was the first NBA game played at the Moody Center. Um, You may be wondering why the Spurs played there instead of their home court. Well, if I remember correctly, the Moody Center was one of the many home courts that the Spurs had in their pre-San Antonio Spurs years. If you're not familiar, before they were called the San Antonio Spurs, they went by both the Dallas Chaparrales and the Texas Chaparrales. Of course, we're going back to the days of the ABA in this case. So um, one of their homes during that time period was the Moody Center, and with the Spurs celebrating 50 years um, of being called the Spurs, they decided to uh, go play at the Moody Center. So that's that's a fun footnote. But um the Spurs get the win. That's a great win to be able to win in that environment. 129 to 127, as we said. Um back and forth game for the most part, but the Spurs able to come out on top. For the Trailblazers, they were led by Kevin Knox. He had 24 points off the bench and then 23 points from the starting center, Drew Eubanks. He also had nine rebounds and five blocks. Um five other players, including the rest of the starters, all scored in double figures. Meanwhile, for the Spurs, they had four players with 20 or more points. Uh, 25 points for Bates Diop, 24 each for Calvin Johnson and Julian Champagny. Uh, Champagny's points coming off the bench. And 21 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks for Zach Collins starting at center. Trey Jones, 18 points and 10 assists as well. So nice win for the San Antonio Spurs. Next, this is a tough one for me. Uh, the Jazz lost another close one and a tough loss for them in the playoff positioning. Uh, they lost at home to the Oklahoma City Thunder, 114 to 98. Uh, credit to the Thunder, they've been, you know, solid for the most part this whole season. Um, and yeah, they never trailed after the first quarter, so that was a nice win for them. For the Jazz, they were led by uh, Chris Dunn, who had 22 points, eight assists, and seven rebounds starting in this game. Um, 16 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists for Kelly Olenek. Um, 13 for Ochai Agbaji, 12 for Udoka Azubuke, and 11 off the bench for Simone Fontecchio. Meanwhile, for the Thunder, they had 7 players in double figures, 4 of those coming off the bench. 
Uh, leading scorer, though, they're starting all-star guard. Shea Gilders-Alexander, 22 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. Josh Giddy with 17 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, and 3 steals. So a very dynamic backcourt tandem, getting it done there. Uh, 15 for Aaron Wiggins, 14 for Dario Saric. Um, and Saric also had 10 rebounds, and they had a few other double-figure scores, so great win for the Thunder. And finally, the Phoenix Suns win at home against the Denver Nuggets, 119 to 115 as the Suns' seventh straight victory. So with Durant back in the lineup there, firing on all cylinders, back and forth game, but big play from Chris Paul and Durant in particular uh, really got it done. For the Nuggets, they did rest a lot of players, as are a lot of teams at this point of the year. Uh, Bruce Brown, though, led them in scoring 31 points. They got 20 from Reggie Jackson. 12 points, 11 rebounds for DeAndre Jordan, and 15 points for Christian Brown. Uh, Christian Brown. They also got 14 off the bench from Jeff Green. Meanwhile, for the Suns, Chris Paul, 25 points. Kevin Durant, 29 points. Uh, those two combining for 13 made threes. Chris Paul with a career-high seven made threes in this game. Uh, 16 points for DeAndre Ayton, 15 for Devin Booker, and 11 off the bench for Torrey Craig. Uh, so another great all-round victory for the Suns. And that takes care of our game summaries from the last two days of action. Um, again, I appreciate uh, you, the the listener, being patient with me as I'm dealing with this throat situation. Let me grab another drink here. <clears throat> okay. Clearing my throat again. Here we go. We're jumping into our key news next. And the first item is... Our NBA playoff picture. We got to update you on all the things that happened over the last couple of days. On Wednesday, here were our key updates. Milwaukee clinched the first seed in the playoffs. Denver, and and that's playoffs overall, East and West. So they're the number. They're they are the number one seed, regardless of conference. The Denver Nuggets clinched first seed in the Western Conference playoffs. Boston clinched Atlantic Division title as well as the second seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Philadelphia clinched third seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and Atlanta clinched the play-in tournament spot officially. So those are some big updates, particularly particularly in the East. Then on Thursday, Miami clinched the Southeast Division title, and Utah was officially eliminated from postseason contention. That was with that loss to the Thunder. Uh, so, of course, me as a Jazz fan, I'm sad to see that, but again, credit to the Thunder you know they've been they've been the better team than the Jazz all around this season, so that's well deserved. Um, so those were the official updates, but let's jump to what we're looking at today as far as playoff clinching scenarios, as well as the the way standings are right now. So right now, um, the only spots that are really up for grabs in the East, it's a question of whether the Nets or the Heat will be your sixth seed in the playoffs or your seventh seed in the play-in tournament. That's the big intrigue. Otherwise, the picture is pretty well set. Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, Cavs, and Knicks are in the standard playoffs. The Hawks, the Raptors, and the Bulls are in the play-in tournament, and the Pacers, Wizards, Magic, Hornets, and Pistons have all been eliminated from the playoffs and the postseason entirely. In the West, as it has been for a long time, it's still very much up for grabs. Um, teams like the Jazz now, along with the Trailblazers, the Spurs, and the Rockets, they've been eliminated from the the postseason picture, so they're not in it. 
the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Kings, and fairly recently the Suns, those four teams have officially clinched playoffs. So they're good there. Outside of that, you have seven teams vying for the last two playoff spots and the four play-in appearances. Those teams are the Clippers, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, and the Mavericks. As it stands, the Clippers and the Warriors would be in the playoffs. Lakers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, and Thunder would be in the play-in tournament, and the Mavericks currently sit outside of the play-in and postseason picture. But here are the play- the clinching scenarios for tonight's games, April 7th's games. Atlanta can clinch um, the eighth seed, that eighth spot, um, eighth seed spot in the play-in tournament with a win or a Toronto loss. Brooklyn can clinch that coveted sixth seed, that for sure playoff spot, with a win or a Miami loss. Miami is locked into a play-in game with a loss or a Brooklyn win. So again, it's in Brooklyn's, it's their opportunity to clinch that sixth seed. If they lose and Miami wins, then that's going to come down to the wire, that sixth seed spot. And then Toronto can lock their so themselves into that ninth seed with a loss or an Atlanta win. So yeah, Atlanta and Toronto, they're jostling for that those positions just below Miami and Brooklyn. So there's some intrigue there as far as the Eastern Conference goes. For the West, some big, big stuff here. Firstly, for the Dallas Mavericks, if they lose tonight, they are eliminated. They're out of the postseason, which is shocking to think about, but that is very much in the realm of possibility. Uh, next, the Warriors, Golden State Warriors, can clinch a normal playoff spot, six seed and up, with a win and with losses by both the Pelicans and the Lakers. So that's key. Um, the Lakers will be locked or could be locked into a play-in game spot with a loss and a Golden State win. Memphis clinches the second seed with a win or a Sacramento loss. Oklahoma City is locked into a play-in game if Dallas loses, and Sacramento is the third seed with a loss or a Memphis win. So let's simplify that a little bit. Memphis and Sacramento, depending on um, who wins, who loses, that will determine second and third seed definitively. That's those two teams. Oklahoma City and Dallas. If Dallas loses... Oklahoma City's in the postseason. They're in the play-in tournament. And uh, if Dallas wins, then that's still a little bit open, and it's close with Oklahoma City. And then finally, Golden State and the Lakers, they're jostling for play-in versus playoff position because they're fairly close in the standings. And that is your 100% update as far as the um, play-in tournament playoffs and general postseason scenarios at this point um, but again a lot of intrigue as we continue to go on uh, with this, these last few days of the NBA's regular season um, a couple more updates on Dallas's front firstly the Dallas Mavericks have lost they've officially lost their protest of or have been denied their protest of the March 22nd home loss to the Golden State Warriors. Um, won't get into the specifics. If you were not familiar with the situation, um, we have covered it in the past on the podcast around that date. 
or you can also find it uh, online. I'm sure plenty of videos are uh, explained it very well, but um, just a final update on that. They did not win that protest. So that game will not be replayed at any point. Um, and that probably would have been a hectic uh, thing to figure out at the end of the season anyways. So another update for Dallas. This is huge for tonight's very important game. Uh, again, if they lose this game, they're out of the postseason and they're going to be without five key players for that game. Kyrie Irving, Tim Hardaway Jr., Christian Wood, Maxi Kleba, and Josh Green. All five of those players are not playing tonight. So it's dire straits. They're going to be dealing with less, you know, a, a shortened deck, if you will. It's going to be a tough situation for Dallas, but that's something important to keep in mind as we go into tonight's games. Um, on the flip side, Milwaukee is going to be resting their starters tonight versus the Memphis Grizzlies at home. Of course, the Bucks have already clinched the number one overall seed, um, so they have that liberty to be able to rest players at this point uh, within the last couple games of the season. Next uh, update for the Pelicans and Zion Williamson. Uh, GM David Griffin says Zion's earliest, earliest possible return would be during the normal playoff structure, which confirms he is going to miss the play-in tournament. Uh, so that could be a big loss for Pelicans' hopes of getting him back. Um, still dynamic. Pelicans have played well without him in recent weeks, so we'll have to see what happens there. For the Atlanta Hawks, Clint Capella has been awarded the Siku Smith Award. Uh, this is an award unique to the Atlanta Hawks franchise um, based on Siku Smith's contributions uh, to the Hawks, to the NBA family, Atlanta sports. Basically, this award uh, recognizes a member of the Hawks who's been a great representative of the franchise. They've worked well with the media, things of that nature. Uh, so congratulations to Capella for winning that award. Uh, next, uh, former NBA player Ben Gordon has been arrested on a weapons charge uh, in Connecticut. There's some, you know, hazy details as far as it was some sort of public situation at a, a shop, a local Connecticut shop. Um, I won't comment too much on this at this time. Of course, there's a lot of details that probably need to be filled out. It's an unfortunate thing to hear about. Uh, for everyone's sake, uh, for everyone's sake, and I hope that the resolution to this is positive for all parties involved. And you know, Ben Gordon's a player that I've, you know, I like him as a player. If this is something that's true, it's unfortunate to hear about. Um, but we'll have to see what happens with this case. Uh, update for the Jazz, and this will lead us into our transactions. Our last part of our uh, key news. The Utah Jazz are going to be uh, signing and kind of extending Lucas Semantic's contract through the 2024 season. This is a report from Major in Motion Rasky of ESPN. Uh, so he's going to be a little bit more long-term part of the Jazz future, at least for next season. So that's a cool thing to see. Uh, finally, some end-of-season-related transactions. The Charlotte Hornets have kind of converted, re-signed some contracts. Uh Guard Kobe Simmons moves from a two-way contract to a standard contract, and forward Xavier Sneed is shifted from a standard contract to a two-way contract. So those two essentially swap places. Um, 
Next for the Brooklyn Nets with uh, Moses Brown's 10-day contract expiring, they have converted guard David Duke Jr.'s contract from a two-way contract to a standard contract, so he fills in that 15th spot. The Boston Celtics are signing guard Justin Champagny to a standard contract to fill. They had a 15th spot uh, open much of the season, and I believe he's the brother of Julian Champagny of the Spurs, so that's cool to see. And finally, the New Orleans Pelicans are waving guard Darren Sebron, who was on a two-way contract. So that is your transactions from the last couple of days. And on the whole, that takes care of our key news. So with that, we'll go ahead and shift into our franchise focus. And I didn't say this before, but today's franchise focus, we're going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Quick note for this weekend on Saturday, we will do a brief bonus episode where we'll do our franchise focus for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So stay tuned for that. But for today's show, we're doing the Oklahoma City Thunder. And real quick, just a qualifier. Um, I felt that it might be disingenuous on multiple fronts to talk about the Seattle Supersonics history with the Oklahoma City Thunder history. Um, and not just for that side of me that would like to see a team back in Seattle, would like to see the rebirth of the Supersonics, because that are, there is that bias in that regard, and so I won't, I don't want to deny that. But also, it does feel disingenuous to this Thunder team. It feels like they've had enough of a rich beginning, you know, these first fifteen to twenty-ish years. They have a very dynamic history they've got a lot that they've already built in such a short time and so i feel like there's enough there to talk about without having to draw on a team that doesn't feel like it's kind of part of this franchise if that makes sense even though there's a handful of players who played for both teams there is still a correlation um but that's the way i'm approaching it that's kind of my long-term answer but again if you're new to the franchise focus basically we look at specific franchises in three different aspects. We first look at the current team, their direction, their outlook for the future. We then pick a notable team from their history for you know a specific season. Uh, it could be one of their best teams of all time. It could be a what if, could be you know, a mix of those things, could be something else entirely. And then finally, we pick a notable and or legendary player from their franchise's history to talk about in more detail. Um, So starting with the current team's direction, um, we're similar in a lot of ways to the Spurs, the Rockets, the Pistons, as far as it's a team that's rebuilding, although it's not quite that simple. The Thunder have been much better this season than some of those other teams that I just barely listed off. You know, we talked about the play in situation and the clinching scenarios. The Thunder have a good chance of making the play in tournament, and that's certainly a step up from some of those other teams. And they've got plenty of talent that has potential. They have an all-star now, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's the latest Thunder all-star. They have Josh Giddy, his dynamic backcourt teammate. They have Lou Dort, a former two-way contract, who's now become a defensive, defensively stout and solid all-round player. And then they've got you know <clears throat> plenty of very young talent around them. They've got the two Jalens both named Jalen Williams. The spelling is different, but uh, Jalen Williams from uh, Santa Clara College, he's more of a scorer, dynamic wing. 
Meanwhile, Jalen Williams from Arkansas, he's an inside presence, a rebounder, um, and things of that nature. So they've got those two. They've got uh, Pokashevsky, who's a tall, lanky, versatile, you know, player who can who can do some different things for you. They've got guys who have had, you know, limited roles in the past who have slowly become solid rotational pieces. Isaiah Joe, who is with the Sixers, Aaron Wiggins. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has missed a lot of time this season, but he's still a decent part of the rotation. Darius Baisley, who did he get traded? He did. So he he's not on the team anymore, but he was part of it for a long time. Um yeah, that's kind of the big core. Kendrick Williams, of course, he's a solid piece. He was um uh, an undrafted player who's carved out a niche for himself. He's an important part of the Thunder as well. So it's just a lot of interesting, fairly young talent, some versatility. It's an interesting mix. And of course, they've been without their lottery pick, their second overall pick this whole season, uh, Chet Holmgren, their recent draft pick. And he is a guy that's projected to be, you know, common shades of Kevin Durant in some aspects of his game he's defensive ability long tall you know so he's an interesting prospect and again he should be a big part of their future um of course depending on his ability his his play style and all of that going forward but you know i think the thunder of course playing as well as they have this season have shifted themselves out of that real high lottery position they'll likely be mid to late lottery spot at this point. But overall, I think that's okay. You know, they've got plenty of young talent to work with. They haven't seen Chet Holmgren and they've still got themselves in that play in contention. And so you add Holmgren, you get continued development of these young guys. I think overall you're going to be good, you know, and in all honesty, I'm not sure what else I can add to that other than I get confused sometimes about the, you know, the real mix of this team, what the lineups look like. And part of that is my, you know, old fashioned way of looking at basketball of I'm guilty. A lot of times saying you got to have a real center and a real power forward. And I know that that does not really determine success as much as it did in the past in a modern NBA, but I'm not sure who their center is. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess Holmgren's the power forward who's the center alongside him. Um, They've got all sorts of versatility, but they don't really have a lot of inside stout presence. You know, the closest I can see looking at their roster at a glance outside like Chet Holmgren, his height would be like a Dario Saric, who was a decent part of the Suns rotation when they made the finals in recent years. And so... That's a question mark, but otherwise, as a Thunder fan, I think it's cool to have this, you know, rebuilding and, um, you know, a new wave. The Thunder were spoiled very early on with Durant, Westbrook, James Harden, uh, Serge Ibaka. They had a finals team very quickly, and so a little bit of a long rebuild, I think, kind of helps you appreciate the times when they get good again even more. And you're in a pretty good spot. So that's the current team. Um, let's shift gears to the historic team. And we're not going to go back very far. 
a lot of the players on this historic team are on the current team. So that's kind of an interesting one. Um, but the team we're going to talk about was a very odd one-off type of team. This was the 2020 Oklahoma City Thunder. And first of all, it was a weird season to begin with. We all know about the whole COVID situation, the bubble, all of that. Um, but this team gets forgotten. I think a big part of it because that season is one that people like to forget about for good reason. But um, it was just a a weird stopgap between two, two different eras of Thunder basketball. The season before this, you were looking at, you know, the last vestiges of, you know, that um, real contention, you know, valid contention era of the Thunder. They still had Westbrook at an MVP type level. They had Paul George, who was like that replacement for Durant. They had Steven Adams as the center. They had Jeremy Grant filling some roles. Um, you know, so it was kind of like that last piece of that core that was continually in the playoffs before um, they started a little bit more fresh with this 2020 team. But it was a team that still found itself uh, fifth overall in the West and played the Rockets in the first round, interestingly enough, against Russell Westbrook's new team and all of that and James Harden as well. So that was interesting. But it was the first season of Shea Gilgis Alexander on the Thunder. Um, they had Danilo Gallinari, who I think was part of that same trade. It was the, the Paul George Clippers trade. Uh, Steven Adams was the starting center, still very solid. This was the emergence of some new pieces. Lou Dort, you know, his first time getting a lot of big minutes and he instantly became a key part of the team. Um, you know, Darius Baisley getting an opportunity, um, Roberson was still on the squad at this point, so there was still that lingering, you know, play from previous years, but it was an interesting mix. And to top it all off, as part of that uh, Russell Westbrook deal, I believe this was part of it, they got Chris Paul. Chris Paul was the starting point guard on the Thunder team. And it was kind of an interesting, um, you know, circle of life deal where, in his early years with the Oklahoma City Hornets, or the excuse me, the New Orleans Hornets at that time, um, when Hurricane Katrina happened and they were forced to play games outside of New Orleans, they went to Oklahoma City. And they were the Oklahoma City Hornets, and they had Oklahoma City-specific jerseys for a little while. And that was a big part of Chris Paul's early career. And so for him to now be on this Oklahoma City team it was kind of a nice little circle of life situation, but um, he was still solid, you know, normal points and assists with some steals, doing that type of thing. You go into the playoffs, and, um, I mean, he, he really took charge as much as he could. 21 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 steals. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was, you know, solid enough, but he was still young. He was still finding his place uh, in the NBA as a whole. Adams was still grabbing rebounds in the playoffs. You know, they also had Dennis Schroeder off the bench. I forgot to even mention him. Um, he was still kind of a carryover from that previous year's team uh, and teams, plural. But, you know, he was still a big scorer off the bench in the playoffs. Gallinari was all right. Lou Dort, 
again was very productive and very promising. Um, it was just an interesting team, you know. And so I wanted to take just those few minutes to remind people almost more than anything, hey, Chris Paul was on the Thunder alongside SGA, and they had Gallo and Steven Adams. You know, Terrence Ferguson was still in the mix there, and it was kind of an interesting squad. So that's the historic team. You know, with the Thunder, it's very easy to talk about um, the 2016 team or the 2012 final squad or 2014, you know, any of those years where it's the Durant-Westbrook core, sometimes with Harden, sometimes with some other key, you know, supporting players. Um, Those teams get talked about plenty, I think, you know, deservedly so. But it's always interesting to talk about a team different from those kind of mixes. And so that's why I talked about the 2020 Thunder. With that, we'll go and shift into our notable slash legendary player. And this guy's a combination of both. I'd say he's one of the more underrated players of his era. Um, He's still in the league currently, although in a very diminished role. But we're talking about Serge Ibaka. Um, Air Congo, as he's uh, affectionately known, he's had some, you know, interesting uh, off-court stuff, you know, some social media presence and things like that. But um, in his prime with the Thunder, he was one of the more exciting players to watch, especially with that crowd and his style of play, the reaction he would get. Um, you know, he so he was born in uh, the Republic of the Congo. Uh, of course, Air Congo, that's where that comes from. But um, he actually uh, spent much of his life in, I, be- I believe, Spain, from what I'm seeing. Uh, let me see if I can find this exactly. Um, yeah, he's Congolese slash Spanish. Um, apparently, he plays for the Spain national team. Uh, so that was something I really didn't know. That's that's cool to know. Um yeah, played it with some international clubs before coming over to the NBA. Um, and yeah, in the NBA, we're talking about his prime. He was one of the best shot blockers in an era that had, you know, Dwight Howard. He was right there with him. His two best seasons, 2012 and 2013, collectively over those two seasons, uh, you know, 140, 150 games. He averaged 3.3 blocks per game, which is stellar, you know, and he was a decent rebounder alongside it. Later in his career, he would put up some points, you know, he'd start to be a stretch four, really fit that modern style. Um, And he was a great part of those Thunder teams and a big part of their success. You know, he was there, you know, I mentioned 2012 through 2016. He was there for all those seasons and um, he was a part of the draft day trade that brought Demonis Sabonis and Victor Oladipo to the Thunder when Durant left and it was the first, you know, Westbrook only led team as far as those key stars. And so he was in Orlando for most of the 2017 season as their kind of de facto star player, still productive, but, you know, not a team that was going to be that as competitive as you'd, as you'd like. Then he gets traded midseason to the, to the Toronto Raptors. And that's really where the second key part of his career began was uh, with the Raptors uh, 2018, 2019, 2020. And in the the playoff runs in that time, especially the title run in 2019, he was like the six man, unique six man with that inside presence. Again, could stretch the floor, but 
can put some points up, but he was a defender. He was a rebounder, even better rebounder at this point, and uh, could make some plays as well, a little bit more than he did in the past. And that's kind of like the rebirth of his career in some senses. So that was a great run. In recent years, he's been a piece on some contending type teams. He was with the Clippers for a season and a half. He's been with Milwaukee uh, in recent years. Currently, he is, which team is he with? I think he might be a free agent at this point. I know that he was part of draft uh, trade deadline moves. Might have been technically on the Pacers at some point, but he's a free agent, you know. And if that's the end of his career, first of all, that'd be unfortunate. He's a guy I like to see in the NBA. But, you know, he's certainly had an accomplished career. You look at his resume here, three-time all-defensive team member, two-time block champion those two years I talked about, 2012 and 2013, and a champion with the 2019 Raptors. And so he's a great player and certainly maybe the most underrated piece of that Thunder uh, contention era, the Durant-Westbrook years where they were a serious you know, hope and a serious chance to win the championship and, or go to the finals out of the Western Conference. So definitely you know, worth mentioning him when we can. So, uh, yeah, Serge Ibaka, our franchise legend, and that takes care of our franchise focus. Um, with that, let me grab another drink here before we jump into our last segments of today's show. Okay, so we're going to give you our game previews for this weekend, the final weekend of the NBA regular season, and there's a lot of intrigue, of course. We have two days of action. Firstly, on Saturday... Uh, tomorrow we've only have three games total all of them are on league pass um these aren't going to be hugely impactful uh, overall i mean we have nuggets in utah against the jazz we have the timberwolves in san antonio against the spurs and then the clippers hosting the trailblazers those are all about 3 30 4 o'clock eastern standard time those are the that's another note i forgot to mention all of the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time, so take that into account when planning. Um, but that being said, none of those three games are going to be hugely consequential other than Timberwolves win or lose, that could have some impact. Clippers win or lose, that could have some impact. Those two teams worth paying attention to, but otherwise not a huge slate. But then we get into Sunday, and of course this is going to be the one to watch out for. This is the final day of the regular season. This is all 15 te- or all 30 teams playing in 15 total games. We have uh, a good amount of coverage. We have an ESPN doubleheader, um, but all these games are going to be fairly early. The last, the latest game on sa- Sunday's slate is 3:30 Eastern, so that's intriguing in and of itself. But the doubleheader, it's an ESPN doubleheader. Firstly, at one o'clock, the Boston Celtics host the Atlanta Hawks. And then at 3.30, the Los Angeles Lakers host the Utah Jazz. Um, so those are the national broadcasts. All the rest are in, are on League Pass. Um, you know, the Eastern Conference teams on the whole are pretty well set in their positions. So those games, you know, Hawks Celtics is interesting to watch as far as those teams going into the postseason, what they'll look like. That's similar for a lot of these, but as far as the postseason ramifications, there's not a wealth of those. Um, So keep that in mind. Um, But otherwise, 
outside of those games, when we get into the 330 slate, that's where we'll have a lot of the Western Conference games. That's another interesting thing with the way this is uh, scheduled. The one o'clock games, those are all Eastern Conference teams playing pretty much, except the Rockets are playing the Wizards at one as well. But otherwise, those are all Eastern Conference teams at 330. Those are all Western Conference teams. I guess they've figured that out as far as that's where the intrigue lies. Um, 3.30, Mavericks hosting the Spurs. Based on what happens tonight, that could be a wash or it could be a dire situation for the Mavericks. Pelicans-Timberwolves, that'll be a great one. Those two teams very close. That should be you know, fairly important as far as positioning. Um, again, depending on tonight, this Thunder game against the Grizzlies could be very important or it could just be formalities. Kings Nuggets should be interesting as far as two of the top teams in the West and a preview of what playoffs could look like, um, depending on who wins each round and so on. Uh, Jazz Lakers, you know, Lakers have already clinched the postseason for the most part. Um, whether that's play in or the playoffs, that's something to watch for with that game. Um, Clippers Suns, that'll be another interesting one too. Those two teams fairly close. That could be a first round type matchup, depending on how it all shakes out. Um, so, you know, we have probably about four or five games that are really going to be the key ones to watch here on that final day of NBA action. Um, but again, those games are all going to be three thirty Eastern standard time league pass type games, except for that jazz Lakers game on ESPN. But otherwise, um, by mid to late afternoon on Sunday, we'll have an exact picture. Here's what your playoffs looks like. Um, so that's the kind of rough preview for this weekend. Um, and with that, that takes care of pretty much the bulk of our show. Let's go ahead and give you our this day in history fact before we get things wrapped up. Um, so for this fact, we're going back to 1989, not too far back, uh, but decent ways back. Uh, April 7th of 1989, FIBA, the International Basketball Federation, voted to drop restrictions on professional basketball players competing in international events such as the Olympics. That's a notable one, of course, because that uh, dropping of those restrictions directly led to the Dream Team and the presence of NBA pros in Olympic action, which is hugely important and certainly a notable event in NBA history, basketball history, um, Olympic history, any and all of the above. So. Definitely got to note that. But with that, that takes care of our show. Um, firstly, as far as our schedule coming up, um, again, tomorrow we'll have a bonus franchise focus where we'll talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So stay tuned for that. Next week, I have a loose schedule in mind, but we will make an official post on our Instagram page on Monday that will detail our playoffs schedule, our postseason schedule going forward. So stay tuned for that. Speaking of our Instagram page, if you want to check that out, follow it. That's crossover across time, all one word on Instagram. Uh, we share content from the show along with content from across the NBA. So that, along with the show itself, is a great way to stay caught up on what's going on in the NBA as a whole. Um, so stay tuned for that. Again, Sunday is the last day of NBA action. So, you know, I'm going to be tuning in. Hopefully you're tuning in as well. We'll have a great uh, recap on Monday, you know, clear up what the situation is for the postseason, what that'll look like, our thoughts on the postseason, 
uh, should be great to uh, tune into. But again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll have our bonus episodes at bonus episode on Saturday, and then we'll be back with our normal programming, our first of our postseason programming on Monday. Thanks again.